0: We're gonna have a real good time together
1: We're gonna have a real good time together We're gonna laugh the child
0: together Have a real good time together Na 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 na
1: na 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 Welcome back to Joker Men Podcast, folks. Uh, Ian here, and we are, you know, we're we're coming in close uh, for uh, a wrap-up on our journey with John and Lou and the Velvets, and, uh, you know, I want to try to get in all the little extra morsels that we can here before we close the book. Not saying we can't come back to this again in the future, but, you know, want to flesh this out as much as we can. Um, and a great opportunity just kind of came across our plate recently, and when it did, we just had to jump at it. We've got Mark Neely, uh, an animator and illustrator, whose work you may have seen on Aquarium Drunkard, uh, is also responsible for music videos for many of your favorite bands, All La the La's, for instance, uh, here to run us through a pretty. Wild, honestly, I don't even know. I don't even know the details of this, so I'm going to find out along with all the listeners uh, what what sounds to me like a pretty wild tale behind one of the legendary Velvets bootlegs. Mark, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine. Um, so we're here today to talk about Valley Dale '66, a uh, one of. Like the earliest and most legit Velvet bootleg recordings, and one that contra many other Velvet Underground bootleg recordings, actually illustrates the band as it was in 1966, 1967. The Velvet Underground and Nico, the core four and Nico, um, live at the Valley Dale Ballroom there in where was it? It's somewhere in Ohio, right? Yeah, Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. Um, listeners out there can find this tape at the tail end of the super deluxe Velvet Underground and Nico set. That's on Apple Music and Spotify, whatever, uh, begins with melody laughter and runs through the nothing song in between. We've got plenty of Velvet's classics, all the favorites that we know and love. Uh, so if you want to catch up on what we're rapping about, that's the place to start. Um, but Mark, please, I, from what I understand, so you have spoken with the guy... I'm assuming it's a guy, <laughs> whoever that made the tape that we can actually hear all these years later.
0: Yeah, that's correct. And this was something,
1: I guess, like a lot of
0: great projects that um, just came about kind of randomly. Um, it sort of fell in my lap. Back in 2019, I'll, I'll try not to go too far into the local side here. and Please,
1: <laughs> take, it, take well, it where it goes. That's what a podcast is for.
0: Well, um, I... I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and in 2019, I did this um, research project slash uh, retrospective of an old underground newspaper uh, that was published here called The Independent Eye, and uh, that's kind of out there and digitized now if anyone searches for it. Um, but when I was doing that, you know, it it brought along all this great um, music history and some like real 60s uh, music heads might know there was like a legendary venue here called the Ludlow Garage, uh-huh. um, and it was kind of nicknamed like the the Fillmore of the Midwest and uh, just a really eccentric, like everyone from Captain Beefheart to B.B. King played there and just a couple short years it was open. Uh, and then there was like the Lemon Pipers who had the number one hit Green Tambourine here in 1968. Um, and, you know, being a lifelong Velvets fan, I knew that they played here um, in 1966 when they were doing their Midwest tour with the plastic Exploding Inevitable. And, but I didn't know about this Valleydale tape. I kind of stumbled on it when I was doing all of this research. Um, I guess I've never been like a completist for these older bootlegs from this sure. era, really.
1: Some of them, you know, it's (laughs) some of them are a little harder to listen to than others. So that's that's not an uncommon uh, approach.
0: Oh, for sure. And so
1: um, it caught my eye
0: because, like you said in the intro, it is sort of um, kind of the holy grail, I think, in a lot of ways for fans um, of these early bootlegs. And then with it being in Columbus, which is a couple hours from here. The thing that really caught my interest, though, was, um, yeah, the guy who recorded the tape, uh, his name was Doug Snyder. And it turns out he's actually a musician who, um, in 1973, he put out this kind of wild LP with himself and a guy named Bob Thompson. It's just guitars and drums. And Mm. um, it was this private press album, like Julian Cope wrote about it on his website, um, it's really cool, but he was the one that recorded um, the Valleydale tape when he was an art student at the University of Cincinnati. Here, he lives in Yellow Springs, which is Ohio, which is about forty minutes from here. And non-locals might know that as the place that Dave Chappelle lives. Uh, sure, it's okay. Really, really small rural farm town, and he like he bought a farm out there and does those private shows. Um, anyway, it's this really tiny kind of. Like a true small, like hippie town that still survives as cliche as that sounds, that's kind sure. of what it is. Um, but an Antioch college is there. and um, so I reached out to Doug because I just wanted to hear more about this. There's like little anecdotes online, and, um, I interviewed Doug. This was kind of too long in scope for something like Aquarium Drunkard. So I had talked to to a maggot brain magazine about doing the story. And um, to make a long story short, it just kind of fell through. And I've I've just kind of been sitting on this um, really interesting um, story that he told me. And basically, um, like you said, the the original release, it's just called 66. And it was a vinyl release that came out in 1981. Um it's kind of a, a cool cover. It's just kind of like white and it's got these four squares with this blonde woman dancing in hmm. each one and you would think it's Nico um if you just look at it and it turns out that it it's uh, the wife of the uh the guy who financed the the tape whose name was Bernd. Oh uh, shit. B- yeah, B E R N D and he's actually credited on the the bootleg LP. He's credited with doing the cover. Um
1: it really does yeah. look like Nika. Yeah, i'm I'm looking at it again here like it's she's kind of like in shadow and like you can see half her face in some of these pictures that it seems very much like they were going for like this is Nico, it isn't actually Nico, but we want you to think it's Nico unless you really know exactly. you
0: would definitely think it's Nika or one of the Warhol superstars sure dancing um. But that was like a a green light for me because this guy, Baird had came up like all the time in my research of this newspaper. Um, And he was this super fascinating guy who, um, as far as I could tell, he he owned like a counterculture bookstore here in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know how he necessarily gained all of these connections, but like he also um, brought the Grateful Dead to Cincinnati like a year later. Um, So just this really interesting guy. And um, tragically, I found out he died in a motorcycle accident just a few years after the the Velvets bootleg was. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. um, And so he would have been an amazing person to talk to, but, but yeah, he kept coming up in these anecdotes. Like he was this tastemaker in the local scene um, and, and apparently, you know, for this in 66, he was uh, very early to be hip to what was going on with Warhol and the Velvets. Um, and so, like you said, on on that, on the 66, the original tape, it's uh, it's just two sides. It's Melody, Laughter and The Nothing Song. And um, both sides are about 30 minutes long. I think they're each like 26 and 27 minutes. Um, and When I talked to Doug, it it was, you know, this amazing kind of story where it was himself and this group of four other uh, art art students, like I said. And um, the Cincinnati show um, was the night before the Valleydale. And this group all went to the Cincinnati show and um, they apparently got permission from from Lou. Um, They asked to, to try to record the show the next night and he said that they could record it as long as he they delivered him a version a copy of the tape.
1: Right, as long as he got the tape and then he could do what he wanted to do with it and was in complete control of whatever anyone ended up hearing. Exactly. That sounds yeah. like Lou. It does. Um but
0: it that in itself is just like cool. Like <laughs> I just love that that these like young students went to the show and actually got to him and they made that connection. Um and so yeah there's this really funny part of the story where um apparently they spoke to um the velvet's equipment manager uh dave uh fison i'm not sure how you pronounce the last name Mm. Um, but um they they so they saw the cincinnati show and then they they drove up to columbus for the valley dale the next night and uh you know, Doug said that like they didn't even know where it was. Like, <laughs> it's such a product of the '60s. Like, these kids, they they just drove a VW, a couple hours up the highway, and you know, in the general vicinity
1: out. of Columbus, and then just figured out they would they would find out the actual <laughs> location once they got there.
0: Yeah, like, anyone know where this Velvet Underground group was playing?
1: Yeah, I'm sure um, every, everyone in Columbus was dialed into that that yeah, night in '66. Like, <laughs> Exactly, just at the arena downtown.
0: So they, the, the Dave Faison guy um, really helped them when they got there. He like provided extension cords and um, one of the members of the group, it, it wasn't Doug himself. Um, it was, it was another guy. Um, he actually had this, uh, you know, really kind of primitive early cassette recorder. Uh, and I'm not like a recording gear person, so I can't really say, Sure. much about what it was but um, so they they um recorded the show and you know it he was telling me that they were like afraid to play the tape back like <laughs> they just had no idea how it was going to sound. Yeah to see what they actually got. <laughs> exactly and um, the tape is to your point like I think your mileage may vary depending on what you get out of listening to these early bootlegs it's um, it's not that the sound quality is like um way better than (laughs) a lot of the other ones i wouldn't say um but it just i think there's enough there to make it like really solid like totally yeah um to the point where um we can talk about this later but um it did end up on a bunch of future releases um some official some not um but you know where the story like really um really takes like an interesting um turn is this same group of kids basically who recorded it um a couple months later it was a uh, christmas break from college and um they drove up to new york city um stayed at the chelsea hotel Wow. And they actually, this is probably like the funniest um, anecdote. They actually just called Warhol's factory and asked for Warhol. And he said, this is Andy. Um, And it was that simple. And then they were able to um, deliver him the tape. And then uh, Warhol was actually responsible for for making the initial uh, bootleg happen. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting because I don't think you even... I mean I guess I, I guess I understand why cuz it's just this little Ohio bootleg show but you don't even normally hear that anecdote in like Velvet's history I feel like um that he was invested enough to do that um because he Warhol wasn't with them um I don't know if he wasn't there for that whole Midwest tour, but he wasn't there at the Ohio shows. The
1: sure, day. he once he once he left uh, his uh, his Midwestern uh, Rust Belt homeland of Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pennsylvania, I, I, he was probably not too eager to return uh, back over into the Ohio Valley area. That, that's a great point. Yeah.
0: Um, so maybe that was a part of it too. You know,
1: like I'm sure he was
0: kind of interested in hearing the tape himself, and you know what what was going on at these. Uh, these EPI shows in um places like Columbus and Cincinnati, Ohio. But um so um yeah so so Warhol received the tape and and made the copy and um so yeah the 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 bootleg then kind of um had this strange life of its own where it over the years it it splintered out into um like I said, all these different official and not so official releases. And you, you had um, noted it's on the, it's on the, the, I guess it was the 45th anniversary yeah, of the yeah. first album. And then um, there was this, there was actually this really interesting um, Japanese CD pressing in the nineties called get back. And um, for that, uh, they actually got a quote from John Cale that's on the back of the CD about playing the Columbus show. And he kind of joked how like, yeah, we played this show in the middle of all these people talking the whole time. Um, and then there were um, there were a few others. It was almost kind of hard to keep track onto where um, some of the, sometimes it was individual songs would, uh, would appear on stuff. And um, when I was actually brushing up on all this in preparation for this, I saw there was actually just a couple years ago, there was like another two LP bootleg put out by the, uh, velvet underground appreciation society, which, uh,
1: yeah. Is that the one with like the green cover, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one that I think if to the extent that anyone is familiar with one of these bootlegs today, like that's probably the one that's easiest to kind of come across around, you know, these parts.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, um, and you know, I I don't remember all the details, but it was interesting talking to Doug Snyder because like, um, it was sort of this like playing hot potato situation with the master tape, where like sometimes he would be contacted by you know the record companies to source it, and other times he wasn't, and like people would ask him questions like, hey, like what what um, what are these songs sourced from? And he like, I don't know, like no one contacted me about it, so. Sure. I do know on um, that Japanese pressing called Get Back um, where it all the other cool thing about that is it has some of his um, photos that he took of the show. And I, I shared some of these with you before, but th- that was like amazing. Like, Yeah,
1: those just, pictures are wild. I'll, we'll make sure to put those up along with this episode when it rolls out. But yeah, like that's that's worth the price of admission alone. Just those kind of shots, man.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so so Snyder took and those those I think were actually from the Cincinnati show the night before Ballet. Sure.
1: He had these pictures
0: um of of the Velvet's playing and and some of the the EPI dancers and you know, seemingly the only people that had ever seen these were him and probably his family and whoever he shared but That's wild. They're, yeah, they're great shots and um so that kind of blew my mind but um some of those photos um also appear um on that get back disc like there's a there's a giant eyeball projection on the cover which was like a close-up of of john Cale's eye that they mm. projected during you know one of the multimedia um films that we're projecting so um yeah it's it's just it's kind of fascinating like again, the kind of second life it's had over all these years. And it's also interesting to me um, that that original, the original vinyl bootleg, just called 66, um, it's, it's obviously extremely rare, but like it pops up occasionally and it's like, not as expensive as you'd think.
1: Yeah, it looks like I was I was dicking around on discogs, uh, you know, as we've been talking. It looks like it's selling for like a hundred bucks ish, depending on the quality these days, which is I mean, that's a lot of money for a scratchy old bootleg from the sixties, but it's not like, you know, uh It's I, not I, what you'd expect. Not exactly, yeah. Yeah, and, and it
0: used to be it used to go even for um like the fifty range. Like I'm talking just a couple years ago. I've sure I always kind of keep an eye on it because with doing this i'd like to own a copy but set
1: your that's your white whale now
0: Exactly. exactly but um yeah i just think um it's it's just a really cool story like how this bootleg happened from these you know art students who just like went to the show um and just ended up talking to the band and um uh, you know, getting permission from from Lou and and Warhol, making the tape, and then it's kind of lived all these lives and in, in one form or another. So, right, uh,
1: keeps coming back uh, again and again. It, it it's wild, you know that like that something so significant to you know people like us here many all these years later is ultimately just a product of like some you know shithead kids that were like bored in Ohio and like had nothing yeah. better to do with their time than just like going to try to tape a show from a band that, didn't have any records out at this time. This was still like six months, almost a year before the first Velvets record even came out. Um, And just a couple months after they had started doing stuff like at the Dom in New York City. So like you had to really kind of be be in the know to be even aware of who these people were at this time, much less like able to suss out where these shows are taking place in suburban Ohio. Yeah, that's one of the most fascinating parts too is that like they even knew about
0: the show. (laughs) (laughs) To your point. Um, And I I do think that um, I do think it was sort of explained by Doug Snyder that um, that this this Baird guy, I think he was a little bit older. So I I think like four of the five were young art students. I think Baird was a little bit older. I think he already had this bookstore um, in town. And um, like I said, he just kind of had a touch on the pulse of the counterculture. And uh, Mm. I I wish I knew more about that, but yeah, he was, he was really early to be hipped to uh, uh, what was going on with the Velvets. Yeah. Before the first record and the early Grateful Dead stuff. And um, yeah, just kind of another, um, another strange way it all kind of fell into place.
1: Sure. Yeah. Another legendary, just like spirit or ghost that was responsible for some small, part of the of the legacy um I mean one of the coolest parts of this bootleg honestly the coolest part to me is the existence of Melody Laughter and the Nothing Song which were the two you know sides of that initial bootleg and today uh you know kind of bookend the full set as it exists on the Super Deluxe set because I mean you hear you read so much about like what the band was doing As part of the um, Exploding Plastic Inevitable shows, you know, with the multimedia experience and with Gerard Malenga, you know, dancing, boogieing on stage, and just, like, people zonked out of their minds, like, laying on the ground for hours, and it seems like such an overwhelming kind of fucking thing, Uh, but you don't really have... Like, there, there aren't really any documents of it. You know, like, there, there are some incredible pictures, you know, the, if you look up shots of the Velvets at the Dom in 66, like, it looks like the coolest place you've ever, you know, uh, ever been to, which I'm sure it was, but that's about, that's about it. I mean, there's posters and stuff, um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, personal accounts of what was going on there, but in terms of actual recorded, you know, recordings, like, you don't, this is all basically ephemeral, lost to time. Uh, and so... Melody, Laughter, and The Nothing Song here, which are these, like, 30-minute-long, amorphous, shifting um, uh, jams, really. Like, that's kind of... That's what was happening on stage every night in different forms, you know? Um, these were never, like, canonical kind of tunes that they played the same way night in and night out. Um, but, it, like, just getting a glimpse, you know, just through... like yeah, I feel like I'm peeking through a keyhole, you know, down upon my knees, uh, so to speak, and... Um, Uh, listening to this music and uh, getting just a faint kind of glimmer of what it what it was like like what what this band was really capable of in its earliest days
0: I first heard the tape i dug as deeply as i could into um trying to find like real really any research that was out there about those two tracks and i did find mo tucker um had mentioned um i don't even remember where but she had said in some interview she she mentioned uh, the melody um melody laughter excuse me mm-hmm. um and um yeah she just it was just this little quip about like yeah this was the song we used to play um and that was kind of it but yeah i think that um it's uh it's a very um you know you probably described it best <laughs> it's a it's a very improvisational um long piece that's um just kind of a a freak out um, with a lot of droning and all that good stuff, and um, but I think those two are probably like the most eye opening takeaways of listening to the Valleydale tape and any of its iterations um you know the other stuff you get a good run of uh most of the first album, but they're not drastically different than those songs that you hear on any of those early right. um bootlegs um uh, like they're really good um i enjoy listening to them like compared to others i've heard um but yeah it's uh those two were kind of i think like this is kind of the document i think if you if you want to explore that and extrapolate however much you can out of it which uh good luck doing so but <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah it like you said it that's kind of the most fascinating part of the the document is those two like Long pieces that that really um, you can really examine, like what was going on at these, you know, nineteen sixty six uh, shows of this era.
1: Totally, yeah. Because I mean, by the time you get to the end of the end of the run of the Velvets, which is just a scant four years later, at this point, you know, the band is kaput. Uh, less than four years after this tape uh, takes place, this is like November sixty six, and you know, Lou quit the band I think in August seventy. Um, Mm. you know, by the time you get to the end of that run, there are, I mean, there's tons of tapes, um, and, and there have been for quite some time, uh, in varying quality and in varying quantity from, from different, uh, points of time. But, uh, you know, like that Matrix, uh, sessions set that came out a few years ago at this point, like that is like almost crystal clear, pristine, uh, recordings of just these extraordinary San Francisco shows from 69 when they were a tight four piece rock song band, you know, right. Lou, Doug, Yule, um, Sterling, and Mo, and um, and so you you know you get uh, you, there's the the historical ledger is almost kind of biased in favor of what the Velvet Underground would go on to become, right? Uh, just based on the number of tapes that exist, right? Even though obviously so much of the legend is based on what the Velvet Underground were at the beginning. Um, and, you know, you, they, they even end up evolving very quickly away from what they're doing at this point on the, on the Valleydale tape in like 67, 68, for instance. Um, but, uh, like this, I think is the, the germinal kind of, uh, you know, pro protozoa, you know, swamp goo that they emerged from. like, um, melody laughter sounds like, uh, theater of eternal music kind of shit. You know, it, 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 this is, I think the strongest kind of, um, Uh, Lamont Young, you know, John pre Lou kind of influence that you're going to get from these guys. Um, And so just having that as like a starting point, you know, knowing that like, oh, this is where this is where it began, even though we're going to get to Sweet Jane, you know, in three years like that is a really essential counterpoint um, to illustrate the whole kind of extraordinary growth of what these people were able to do in the span of, like I said, less than 48 months.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm some, I'm the type of fan who, um, you know, loves it all. But if, if I was to like define myself as a Velvets fan, I'm, um, I'm, I'm more of a fan of the latter era when they became just that rock band. And you mentioned the matrix and, um, you know, a lot of those bootlegs are just so good and some of my favorite stuff. And, um, but it, it's kind of like you said. Like I think there, there's just so much uh, cultural intrigue into the beginnings, and it's you know because it splinters off into um, just the surroundings. Obviously, I mean, obviously this is stuff every Velvet fan knows, but um, everything that was going on around the band at that time that all kind of converge with the EPI stuff, and so this was really interesting for me, um, even you know, when I spoke to Doug Snyder and, and listening to this, because um, like I said, I hadn't truly bothered with a lot of the early um, bootlegs. Like I I definitely heard some of it. Um, but I, I think it's interesting too to like dig into this stuff. If you're someone like me, if you, um, you know, I think everyone loves the first album. But, you know, if you're someone who sort of. have been a fan for a really long time and now you sort of uh, default to the I'm just saying the latter era Um, it's, it's worth diving into this for sure. Um, To go back to what we said originally, it's um, the, the sound quality like is what it is. I think (laughs) You, (laughs) you have to be willing to kind of, um, get past that wall, so to speak. But yeah, uh, you know,
1: you meet it where it is. Although I will say, as you know, as someone who also has uh, you know, my r- ridiculous, stupid Bob Dylan bootleg uh podcast at this point, like this sounds this is this is pretty listenable as far oh, as, you know, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Uh it's it's definitely like uh I think you said at the beginning of this, right? Your mileage may vary type of thing. It's it's not it's not like dropping the needle unloaded, um, you know, and yeah. hearing who loves the sun or something. But um uh, it's, it's totally, totally legit, totally, like, you can get a lot out of this.
0: Yeah, and if, you, if you've only heard other ones that are much worse from this era, then, um, you'll be, you'll be pleasantly surprised, I think, listening yeah.
1: to Yeah, there's a tape, there's, there's another tape from 67, I think, of them in New York. I think they were playing it like, a movie theater or something, and Nico sings um, I'll Keep It With Mine. They do, all, they, you know, the whole band does I'll Keep It With Mine, which is fucking incredible, right? The Velvet Underground covering Bob Dylan and sung by Nico. It's like, yeah. you know, the Holy Grail. Yeah. sounds like it's being recorded uh you know through a garbage can basically it's it's like it, it that that type of tape exists as like a historical curiosity just like a holy shit can you even imagine can you even believe that this happened and and isn't it cool that you can hear the faintest echo of what it was like to be in the room that night um right. but but this is like you know this is miles beyond something like this uh, beyond something like that it's it's not a soundboard by any means but it's um you know it's it it's it's good music
0: yeah, definitely, definitely don't. No one take the sound comments to mean like don't listen to it. But <laughs> it's uh maybe if you're a little naive to what you know mid '60s era bootlegs typically sound like, you know, it uh, right. m- might just be slightly challenging at first. But uh, yeah, but I
1: think it even like it, you know uh, like you were saying that the the catalog songs, you know, the songs we all know and love, Femme Fatale, "Black Angel's Death Song," "Heroin." Um, yeah. you know, there are there are a million other versions of those, studio versions, live versions, whatever that you can listen to. And you know what those songs sound like, you know, you're you're not going to have um some sort of extraordinary, you know, third eye opening experience listening to these these versions here, but I actually think the sound, you know, quality, the feeling, right, that you get from this tape actually benefits something like Melody Laughter or the Nothing song, which are which are these kind of uh spacey um free form you know kind of like you see what you want to see in it type songs right uh, that lack lyrics that lack choruses, that lack predictable development but give you a give you more of a just kind of hang out ambient see see where the the vibes take you type of experience listening to them
0: totally and uh this is this really random but it reminded me when you were talking about um, them doing the Dylan song um you know that that velvet's book that um it's an older book but it's sort of um i can't think of the name but it it sort of collects like all these old like newspaper ephemera and interviews um i think i know what you're
1: talking about Yeah, yeah
0: yeah um there's um i don't know if it was when they were playing in la on the strip or if it was from another time but um it's just so funny i've like never heard anyone mention this but uh but they're interviewing Lou and he he talks about like loving the birds. Did you ever read that?
1: I don't I interview? I I've I've heard I I know I've seen Lou shit talking the hell out of Frank Zappa around this time but I don't know oh. that I've, I've I've seen him uh singing the praises of a band like the birds.
0: I know, it's really interesting and I wanted to make sure I mentioned it on the show because um I'll have to like send it to you exactly um cuz I have the book upstairs but um, I just thought that was so cool that Lou was a huge fan of the birds, And he says, like, I don't know how, any- how anyone couldn't like him. So uh, that's just amazing to me.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this right now. Uh, I just like everybody. I don't like to say bad things about people. I've seen Hendrix jam, and when he's jamming, he's really lovely, a good guitar player. And I understand that Eric Clapton did the guitar thing on Sour Milk Sea. I'm not sure I enjoy the groups they're in. I'm not sure I enjoy blues guitar playing. Well, in fact, I'm sure I don't. Uh, I think Jim McGuinn is a very good guitar player, really exciting. You know, to this day, no one has done a better solo than 8 Miles High. I mean, people should really support the birds. The birds are divine. Wow, sick. No, I know, and like I don't know if
0: it's because I'm like a huge birds fan and burritos and like everything involving them, but oh, uh, that's
1: yeah. I mean, we haven't really uncovered that corner of uh, <laughs> the, this world on on the program before, but that whole that whole little nook, you know, like late '60s into early '70s, Los Angeles, you know, kind of stoned out uh, country yeah. rock. That's incredible stuff.
0: But yeah, I, I just I think it's cool because. um like you said, like we know about them, like hating the, um, hating Zappa and the, the mother like <laughs> and, and vice versa. And then, um, like Mo talking about like, Oh, we were like the antithesis of like the, the hippie movement and all this stuff. And, uh, I just thought it was kind of amazing that Lou was singing the praises of the birds. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the story that is that's told, right? It's like it um fucking there's this this very conscious kind of counterpoint to uh or between the Velvet's in the New York scene and yeah, Zappa and the Dead and any other, you know, kind of active West Coast band at the same time. You know, there's that quote from Mary Warnoff, I think, in one of the books, um, that I think this was in um maybe Will Hermes' new book, uh, what'd she say? Um yeah, the Lou Reed book. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mar- yeah. Mary Warnoff said we were on amphetamine and they, someone on um you know just they being the West Coasters, they were on acid. They were so slow to speak with these wide open eyes. Oh wow. So into their vibrations. We spoke in rapid machine gun fire about books and paintings and movies. They were into free and the American Indian and going back to the land and trying to be some kind of true, authentic person. We could not have cared less about that. They were homophobic. We were homosexual. They're women. They were these big, round-titted girls. You would say hello to them, and they would just flop down on the bed and fuck you. We, <laughs> we liked sexual tension. S&M, not fucking. They were barefoot. We had platform boots. They were eating bread. They had baked themselves, and we never ate at all. Uh, incredible yeah. quote and just fucking all-timer that's just beautiful poetry from Mary Warnow but you know um, it, it, at the same time like it's great to see Lou kind of singing the praises of a band like the Birds, right because they are a great band and it kind of puts the lie to that kind of magic and mystique that has rightfully been conjured over over time but uh you know at the end of the day these were all just like 20 something kids making rock rock songs and some of them had some east coast influence some of them had some west coast influence and then you know this uh, a sharks and jets kind of thing really
0: absolutely and um just so everyone knows the the book is called all yesterday's parties the velvet underground in print 1966 to 1971 so um hence that subtitle it's like a it's a really awesome book it's it's a great collection of like um basically all of they sourced kind of all of the write-ups um of velvet shows and album releases from like all the underground papers and music magazines and stuff and um yeah that i don't know i think i feel
1: like a lot of people don't know about it you can get the book pretty cheap it's uh it's pretty awesome yeah another you know kind of uh uh appropriate uh, document or or compendium for a band like the Velvet's that uh, just kind of skated by on word of mouth and and lore and legend and what what survives is what survives um you know the way that this the way that this tape does is so so contra so so uh, against something like you know Bob's early days which were just as legendary you know more so in 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 some ways um and yet were so so breathlessly documented by arbiters of high culture, you know, the New York Times, and he's in Columbia Studios from nineteen late nineteen sixty two, uh, writing and record, or excuse me, late nineteen sixty one, you know, uh, recording songs. Um, you know, each and every step of the way, and it's, it's, it, we have insane numbers of high quality artifacts from from him, and uh, and these guys are the exact exact kind of opposite, even as they have come on, you know, come to uh, stand right up against him. Uh, in terms of, you know, the long shadow of influence over the years. ¶¶
0: I guess in a way too that kind of ties together that um mentioning that book because uh <laughs> this all kind of started you know investigating an old um underground paper and um obviously that was a format um in this era that is so sort of underrepresented because you know this they were like made on thin newsprint and if they weren't taken care of they literally the paper disintegrated over disintegrate time. yeah exactly yeah and so what's great is um you know we we do have some surviving digital archives that's what we did i worked with the local library to um, digitize everything and there's a few i know like open source um, archives uh, people know of the big ones you know like you think of um the east village other in new york and then obviously the psychedelic papers in in directly in hate ashbury and Um, various parts of the west coast but you know there was like hundreds like because with Vietnam being this through line for everybody and these new left politics like they were um, they were in small rural towns in the midwest and literally everywhere so um, yeah there's so much like interesting stuff to get plucked out of there Um, even like you know um, the classic like newspaper like advert for the white light white heat you know with that great like quote um of um you know like come or the the world of the velvet i can't remember what the quote is but um i'm sure a lot of people have seen that it's really brilliant um but yeah like when we think about the velvets unlike someone like dylan like you almost think that stuff like didn't exist like <laughs> like you know were these albums like advertised and like trade magazines and newspapers and um they weren't on the same scale but like stuff like that does exist out there so um if you're like someone really into to research and just like digging into stuff you like like i am um yeah so so much good stuff came out of there and uh that's why books like that
1: are so important. Totally, and tapes like uh, like the Valleydale Ballroom tape. It's you know you gotta put you gotta put in the work. He's got to do a little <laughs> legwork here. Although even you know at this point you, you, we've got a cleaned up and relatively hi fi transfer of this tape available on fucking Spotify. So uh, you don't even have to put in too much legwork uh, at this yeah. uh, at this point. You know, just uh, head down to the bottom of <laughs> the super deluxe set and give it a spin. Absolutely. Um, and, and one more thing uh, I mentioned that Doug Snyder um,
0: who has the master tape, who I interviewed, I mentioned that he um, put out this album. It's called daily dance. I suggest if you haven't heard it, um, check it out. It's he described it as being influenced by um, the Velvets and uh, Sonny Sharrock, the great free jazz guitarist. Mm. Um, and it, yeah, it's a, it's just a guitar and drum record and um those influences really come out when you hear it. And uh, he's kind of living proof of that um, cliche quote about, (laughs) you know, the, the rare people who got to see the Velvets formed their own band, you know, that thing you've heard a million times, but um, he kind of told me like, well, I'm like living proof of that. Um, So uh, yeah, recommend people check that album out. It's, it's out there. And um, I don't know if it's streaming, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's accessible enough. It's on YouTube and places like that. So Yeah,
1: yeah. I just uh I just dug this. Yeah, from nineteen seventy-three. It looks like Doug Snyder and Bob Thompson, Daily Dance. Kind of a trippy yeah. little rainbow cover. That's so wild.
0: Yeah, it's a cool cover for sure. And I, I think they recorded that in in like a room in Yellow Springs where where he still lives. So um it's a pretty cool little little
1: artifact. And I think people would dig it for sure. Gordon, well, we'll uh see if we can throw some Throw some throw some some sounds in here yeah. so folks can uh, enjoy a little bit of Doug's work besides his uh, beautiful tape from Valleydale. Um, well, thanks so much for uh, hopping on with us, Mark. to salute to you and to Doug and to Burn and to all these other kids, you know, from that are probably dead by now, to be honest, because this was like sixty years ago at this point. Um, but uh, uh, anyone you know who had a hand and in putting this thing together and getting it out through the ages not only taping it but you know making sure that people can listen to it and hear it all these all these many years down the line it's uh invaluable contribution to the legend of the velvets
0: absolutely and uh, i appreciate you having me on to uh tell the story hope people check it out